we're realizing right now, we're realizing that in, in the past, you know, in the past, the concern, main concern was that there's some malware, uh, you know, installed on this laptop somehow, trick bot, you know, get in through Emotet campaign, you know, click the link or whatever you know, in the email. And, and you got malware installed on a laptop. That's a problem that we were solving in the past. Now uh, we're realizing that, okay, but the laptop itself is the problem. It's the risk because it has so much code, so many components with exploitable attack surface, you know, including remotely exploitable attack surface that we now need to consider that the laptop itself as an asset is a risk to, uh, to the infrastructure, to your organization, not just the malware, you know, installed on it. Welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast, recorded under the big blue skies of Texas, where one CISO explores the cybersecurity landscape with the help of friends and experts. Here's your host, Alan Alford, President and CISO at Alan Alford Consulting. Howdy, y'all, and welcome to the Cyber Ranch Podcast. With me today is Yuri Bulligan. Now, Yuri is a very interesting fellow. Uh, he happens to be the CEO at Eclipsium. He's also the founder of the open source ChipSec project, which we're going to get into in a little bit here. Uh, he's the former head of threat research at McAfee, former senior principal engineer at Intel. You get the idea. He's been around the industry. Now, full disclaimer, uh, I am the CISO at Eclipsium, so so there might be just a slight bias on my part uh, in, in favor of this conversation. But uh, I'll say this, as I always say, anytime I'm involved, it's because I believe in what I'm doing. I love Eclipsium. I believe in the company. I believe in the product. I believe in the team. And I am the one who asked Yuri to come be on the show, not the other way around. So there you have it. Um, that being said, Yuri, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Alan, great to be here. Really exciting. Looking forward to uh, conversation on the podcast. I love it. I love it. So let's uh, let's let's just get into it. Let's talk a little bit about uh, some chipsec. Let's start with that. I'm remembering all the way back to Meltdown Inspector and all that scary Intel CPU stuff that hit. All of a sudden, it, it was it was the first time in my life that I had to worry about the CPU itself. Right? Like you know, up to that point, it was viruses and ransomware and malware. And suddenly, somebody says your CPU is compromised. Um, that scared me. So. I guess for the audience who doesn't remember Meltdown Inspector, maybe give us a quick brief overview of that. And then let's talk about what else is going on in the CPU world. There's surely been some more recent activity than that. Uh, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty, uh, pretty broad topic. So CPU, you know, definitely it, it started earlier, a lot earlier. And I, I won't go into all the details and, and, and history, but uh, the issues that were, um, um, that were affecting CPUs and exploited in the CPUs were Probably, you know, late 2000s, early 2010s. And I remember, uh, I remember a few folks spearheaded that research, John Orkowska and, you know, from Invisible and the team at Invisible Things Lab and, and Loic Duflois, he was uh, at the time in, um, in the French government. So they discovered a bunch of uh, things that were, you know, specific to chipsets and CPUs uh, that could, uh, you know, implant, you know, plant malware. Uh, by exploiting the CPU um, issues. And um, at the same time, the kind of crypto research, crypto analysis uh, was, uh, was, uh, was growing, uh, the research in that space using CPU vulnerabilities. So it's, uh, um, you know, the cache timing and 
in the in the bridge prediction, but it was kind of limited to the, this, you know, try to uh, try to affect the crypto implementations and thought. Later on, kind of applied to you know, let's break kernel ASLR uh, with the same techniques, you know, the HD will cache faults and so on and so forth. What happens with uh, I think late 2017, early 2018 is that it was earlier research was relatively confined, you know, but then it, I, I think it all kind of uh, uh, came together into realization by the folks who discovered melt, meltdown and, and, and spectra variants that you can use those, you know, type of issues more broadly to compromise data between the trust domains. Generally, if you look at the CPU, it's, it's pretty complex. It's been out of order execution since, since late 60s, since 586 uh, at Intel. And um, generally, you want to speed up things in, uh, in, in, in the CPU. You don't want to execute all the instructions in, in order and uh, take a lot of uh, performance hit. Uh, so every instruction generally is very complex in a, in a, in a CIS CPUs, they're translated into micro operations and, uh, and the CPU manufacturers, they, um, they design the execution such that you don't have to wait for results of, uh, you know, instructions executed in order and you can execute further instructions or, or at least micro ops out of order. And the meltdown was exploiting that. And the meltdown was exploiting that. You get access to, you try to access to memory, uh, goes through cache hierarchy. Um, you know, though, though those access, those instructions are split into micro ops and some, you know, the instruction that is trying to fetch the memory, it, uh, it, uh, it, it, uh, waits for the, the memory and cache hierarchy to resolve the, you know, the value, the address and the value. Um, but then it cannot just wait there. It, it's a huge performance hit. It's a, it's a bubble that needs to be avoided. So all the next instructions are getting executed in order and, you know, at some point, the CPU realizes that, oh, I just, I was given an address that uh, I can't access. I have, I don't have access to, you know, maybe it's in kernel, maybe it's in the virtual machine or somewhere else. So it throws a fault, you know, throws some kind of a, you know, error exception. And uh, when the CPU realizes that, uh, you got to roll the, the whole thing back, you know, but you've already executed the instructions past that. So you've already, uh, you've already, uh, you know, took the value and out of the cache and uh, using some kind of covered channel, you know, you, you, you load it into, into other cache locations that are accessible to you. So now you can use any side channel like flush and reload, for example, to, to, you know, to see uh, uh, um, where that was loaded in, in cache and, and deduce the value, the, the secret value from that. And um, that, was, that was kind of a meltdown and, and then foreshadow, I think uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a variance uh, of that affecting SGX enclaves and, and some of the other, you know, virtual machines other trust boundaries. Um, Spectre, Spectre was different. So Spectre was different because it, 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 when, when, you, when you execute a branch, the CPU cannot really wait for the, um, for the, uh, um, you know, for, for the target address to be resolved. So it has to, it, it has to predict what, you know, where it will execute the instructions next. And, you know, branch prediction mechanisms, they became, you know, a, a lot more, complex and powerful over the, the last, you know, couple of decades. And, uh, so you can't, you can't, you, the CPU doesn't wait. It, uh, it starts speculatively executing other instructions. Now imagine you're passing the value to an if in some kernel function, or maybe inside, you know, an SGX enclave, or maybe inside the hypervisor, you're passing in value as, as an attacker, you know, an index in an array, array. And there's an if that compares, Hey, is that index? Uh, within that array boundaries or no? Yeah, 
if it's within the boundaries, then, you know, totally, I'll give you the value, right? But if it's outside of the boundaries, then, uh, then I will give you the, 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 the value because, you know, because you're trying to read some, somewhere outside. Now, the thing is, this code is, uh, is great. There's no software vulnerability there. There's no badly, insecurely developed code. It's, it's checking the boundaries of an area. It's all good. But that it was predicted um, to, you know, fall through and it starts executing instructions as if that index is within the, within the size of the array. So you're reading the value, right? And then further instructions that are speculatively executing, they are taking that value from, you know, an attacker controlled address, which may be anywhere in memory. And then using the, you know, kind of covert channel again, you know, populates the cache lines somewhere where attacker has access to, and again, can use that flush and reload to deduce the, the value that was, uh, that was read. Oh, so the, the code is perfect. It's checking the boundaries. There's no traditional vulnerability that you can exploit, you know, stack overflow, buffer flow, or integer, you know, problem, nothing. It's all good, but it still can expose the value in a perfect code. And so that, I think that was the realization that those CPU bugs can now uh, allow exploits to compromise perfectly well-written software without vulnerabilities. Oh, I think that was a, kind of a, the big, the big, uh, the big realization to Spectrum Meltdown, Spectrum 2, uh, they had two variants and then foreshadow. Um, so that was, a, that was a big deal. That's crazy. So even clean code is vulnerable. Yep. At that point, a lot of, a lot of the industry, you know, thought that, yeah, okay, so this is one-off, you know, this is a, yeah, you got the, you got the microarchitectural side channel that is, you know, exploiting this, uh, this, you know, out of order execution or, uh, or, um, speculative execution. Um, um, but that's one off, you know, bad thing, but CPU manufacturers will fix it and everything is going to be good. Not so good because what happens later on about a few months after is that folks start, researchers started realizing that, okay, now instead of, um, instead of exploiting this kind of what, um, internal stuff, but still architectural, like caches, like the folds, like, you know, the, the, the out of order execution, you can now expose data from internal buffers, internal structures that, that, that there are dozens of them or even more in the, in, in HCPU. When you execute a jump, you know, all of those buffers populated with the uh, transient data. And then once. CPU realizes that, okay, I mispredicted that jump or the address of that jump. Now I need to roll this, all this whole thing back and clear all of those buffers, but that's a huge performance hit. So the CPUs didn't, wasn't, weren't really clearing those internal buffers. Now, but, but you can use those, you know, uh, speculatively executed, executing instructions to take the values out of those internal buffers and use covert channels to expose them. And that's how the microarchitectural data sampling set of vulnerabilities were discovered. You know, all the zombie loads and a, a 1TF. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This, and this is interesting because I remember when this stuff first hit the streets. And, and I'm, I'm thank you for the history lesson because I was thinking Spectre and Meltdown were really the first, you know, like the first ones. They, they were the first ones in my world anyway where it, it came to the point of a CISO's attention at, at an average shop, right? Um, but uh, it's interesting to me at the time the critics were, were – panning the, the, the CPU company saying, oh, they're doing all these insecure things just to try to get better performance. And what you're describing is it's not insecure things to get better performance. It's, it's pretty standard predictive math type stuff that you're doing. 
And it doesn't sound like the CPU manufacturers really did anything, quote unquote, insecure here. It's just somebody finally cracked uh, an architecture. Well, I think, you know, the, the, all of those concepts in CISC CPUs and, and RISC CPUs too, because I mean, RISC CPUs, modern RISC CPUs, they, they all have auto-execution. Auto uh, um, all of those concepts were designed over decades to speed things up, you know, to, uh, to uh, increase performance, to follow the Moore's law. And, uh, and all of these have been really designed to, ran, uh, to run software faster and faster every year. They were not designed, oh, can someone exploit that maliciously? Can someone abuse that you know, capability uh, for malicious purposes? That uh, wasn't the, 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 the goal. It was never the goal you know, in, in the past until the, 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 the researchers, the security researchers realized that, okay, those microarchitectural capabilities and uh, methods that were designed to speed up uh, the CPUs and execution of the software, now they can be used to exploit uh, software, you know, running on that CPU across multiple trust domain. Yep, that's exactly it. All right, so so uh, for my listeners, uh, you guys now understand why I brought Yuri on the show. Like, <laughs> this is cool stuff we're learning. Um, so so next, next history lesson, I'll, I'll switch gears and go to another historical moment in my career. I want to say it was like 2002, uh, I was in IT. This wasn't even when I was in security. I was just an IT manager at that time or director or something in IT. And uh, I read an article in one of the, you know, the back when people still read magazines, um, came out and said that there were a bunch of bootleg Cisco uh, cards being sold into the States by official third-party channel dealers, right? Um, but the cards themselves were actually bootlegs coming out of China. And at first it was like a, a declaration of, oh, people are buying inferior goods and this is wrong because of, you know, corruption and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Until somebody pointed out that U.S. Navy intelligence and a bunch of these other government organizations had purchased these cards. And then it turned into, oh, wait a second. This isn't just about subpar gear. This is about somebody's network is now potentially completely compromised by a piece of hardware. So that was all the way back in 20. You know, 2002, I remember this first story of that. I'm assuming these kinds of stories are still happening. I'm assuming just like the CPUs finally got exploited on, to your point, designs that have been there forever that somebody finally figured out, hey, there's a, there's a way to be evil about this. I'm guessing that supply chain bootleg hardware, bootleg chips, bootleg BIOS, bootleg firmware, like this is still a very real problem too, isn't it? And it's probably even worse than when it started back then. Did it say 2002 or 2022? Uh, I'm sorry, 2002. That's what I meant. 2002. Yeah. <laughs> Because, because um, the, the you know, Cisco, counterfeit Cisco equipment was still sold in 2022. Oh, my goodness. For, for, for up to a billion dollars, you know, there, were, there was a huge, you know, that's like, that's like a several hundred thousand pieces of Cisco equipment that were counterfeit. That, that were not even uh, Cisco equipment. <laughs> so, but this, here, here's the thing, counterfeit equipment, yeah, I mean, it's bad. I, you, you, we probably don't want to sit inside the plane that has some kind of counter, counterfeit parts, right? Right. Uh, but that's, that's just tip of the, I, I mean, that, that's, that's not the worst problem. It's far from the worst problem. I think the worst problem is that, you know, if, uh, it's not counterfeit as in, you know, cheaper sold for, you know, more money, right. right? Or, or, but it's, it's actually compromised. It's actually tampered with exactly that on kind of a malicious code that is not supposed to be there. Uh, and yeah, we don't want to sit in the airplane that has counterfeit part, but we surely don't want to sit on the plane that has malicious code running in some of the critical systems. 
right? Or, you know, or critical communications, you know, that, that, that can run malicious yep. code that, uh, like the, uh, the, the bias uh, terminals. In 2002, uh, the Cisco switch was at the core of absolutely everything you did and had. Your entire IT, everything ran through that Cisco switch. If somebody just had a simple listen in and report chip, you were screwed. Let's pause right there for a brief word from our sponsor. Alan Offord here, folks, to tell you that Alan Offord Consulting is now Alford and Adams Consulting. Jay Adams has come on board as a partner, and we are expanding our services as well. Jay is a CISO and veteran security architect of some of the biggest cloud environments you have ever and never heard of. Jay and I are offering fractional CISO, virtual CISO, and interim CISO services to mid-market and enterprise, as well as general strategic cybersecurity consulting. We are so new that we don't even have a website yet. Stay tuned for that. For now, y'all can find us at alanalford.com. That's A-L-L-A-N-A-L-F-O-R-D.com. Y'all be good now. Still, still a big part, yeah. But, uh, but uh, you know, from an enterprise perspective, we probably don't care about airplanes and, you know, critical comms and, uh, and, and medical devices. I remember the uh, remember pacemakers and research about a decade ago on compromising those. I mean, from an enterprise perspective, they probably don't care about that because you know they, they think that we think that uh, you know maybe, maybe Boeing should take care of that or or you know manufacturers, right? But we're using a lot of that IT equipment mm -hmm. that is as critical for our needs. You know, maybe a maybe a Cisco device, you know, network device. If it runs malicious code, well, that's perfect. That you, you tell traffic, network traffic, you know, go bye-bye, you right? It, it can't be uh, routed anywhere. Uh, if it's a security network equi equipment, a firewall or a VPN, well, now we see what's happening when some malicious code is running there. Yep. Right? It's like, it's like, hey guys, you, we have a party here. I get a backdoor in the firewall coming out, come over. Right, right, right. Backdoors, decryption, whatever. Yeah. And then, you know, let's say it's a server. Let's say that server runs in you know, some critical workloads, virtual machines or, or containers or, you know, whatever it is, you, you know, confidential computing, yeah, SGX enclaves. Um, I remember it was like 2013 or 2015, Alex and I, we had a, uh, we had a presentation, uh, Black Hat, uh, where, we implanted a UFI firmware on a server and ran Zen, ran Hyper-V on it with a bunch of virtual machines with confidential documents in every machine. What do you think that implant was doing? I mean, it didn't really care about all of those, you know, virtualization, you know, separation, trust domains or whatever. It doesn't matter, right? You can expose all of the data in every virtual machine, it has access to the, 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 the memory of every virtual machine or the hypervisor itself. Um, so imagine now you were, you know, you have a large cluster of, uh, I don't know, VMware, um, you know, 200 VMs on each server. If you have an implant in that server, anywhere, almost anywhere, in the BIOS or UFI, in the uh, base work management controller, or in the network, well, network is a kind of a different story, but almost anywhere, that implant has access to all of those 200 um, virtual machines with, uh, you know, all the data in, in them, right? So, and how did that implant get in? Well, that's the question. Was it, uh, was it installed by some, you know, threat actor, you know, in the supply chain, or was it actually installed at real time remote, you know, after that server went into the infrastructure? Um, so I think the, you know, I, I think we kind of, um, we need to look at it as, uh, you know, depending on where the system is, how critical it is, 
how critical how critical the data it has access to. If if that system runs malicious code, if that system has some kind of implant or backdoor, then that's the data it will uh, it, it, this implant will have access. This is why you know in my career, um, a lot of people use the word prodsec and use the word appsec interchangeably, right? And in my career, I was always like, no, 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 no. Prodsec is much more than appsec. I, I grew up in in telecommunications hardware is where I, I, I first got my security chops. And we had FPGA and everything else. And, and you better believe when we did product security that we were, we were looking at the code in the chips, not just the code, you know, on, on the uh, application layer. And um, I think a lot of people miss this and forget this. And I think, you know, just about everything. I mean, I, I'm, I'm talking to you right now through a microphone that's analog, but it goes into a box with chips, which is fed into a computer with chips, which is going through the Internet to the cloud where there's a bunch of VMs hosted on a physical hardware somewhere in somebody's cloud there talking back. You know, there's 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 100 and 200 chips just in this conversation. Yeah, hardware runs all of the infrastructure. You know, hardware, you know, uh, it runs all the network, all the cloud, all, all you know, all of the infrastructure. And then, uh, and then the hardware itself. You know, you look at you look at a you look at a server or this laptop. You know, uh, this laptop. I can, it's so complex. It's uh, it has uh, it has dozens of different OSs in it. You know, and different chips and different components. There are hundreds of manufacturers that develop that code, or you know, vendors that develop that code. And uh, we we we're realizing right now. We're realizing that in the past. You know, in the past. The concern, main concern, was that there's some malware, uh, you know, installed on this laptop somehow, trick bot, you know, got in through emotet campaign, you know, click this link or whatever, you know, in the email, and and you got malware installed on a laptop. That's a problem that we were solving in the past. Now uh, we're realizing that okay, but the laptop itself is the problem. It's the risk because it has so much code, so many components with exploitable attack surface, you know, including remotely exploitable attack surface that we now need to consider that the laptop itself as an asset is a risk to, uh, to the infrastructure, to your organization, not just the malware, you know, installed on it. Right, right. I mean, this is, this gets into the whole tech stack, right? I'm sitting here thinking I've got EDR, I've got SIM, I've got MFA, I've got email protection, I've got browser protection, I've got firewalls, i got IDS IPS, i got WAF, i got DLP, i got all these things, and yet I could still be completely corrupted and compromised <laughs> across my entire shop, network infrastructure, servers, laptops, you name it, video conferencing gear, IOTs, cameras, you know, all of that stuff is at risk. Um, wasn't it um, the Gulf War, the original Gulf War? Uh, we we on the U.S. side deliberately uh, lost a ship at sea that crashed to shore that was loaded with HP printers, and those HP printers had special cards in them that were created by the NSA, and we uh, we we took out Iraqi uh, networks with HP printers, and that was all the way back then. Well, now I, I I flipped that, and now in the U.S. we have telecommunication carriers running three billion worth worth of equipments from Huawei. Mm. It's it's a good question. What is in it? You know, maybe nothing, or maybe uh, maybe some things that can be exploited, or maybe some things that are already there. Yeah. Uh, but you know, I think it. Everyone is uh, kind of a susceptible to that. Yeah, that sort of a uh, risk, including us. Yeah, and this is this is bigger than S bomb too, right? I mean, like like I'm sitting here thinking in terms of you know S bombs. You know, this is a supply chain problem. To your point, you mentioned earlier. I don't know if the bad code got inserted at the factory. 
I don't know if the bad code got inserted by a wholesaler supplier who swapped out the parts. I don't know if the bad code got inserted by a bad guy after it landed in my shop, but either way, the bad code is potentially in there and I need to know what's in there. And so this is, this is, I, I guess there's something of an S-bomb story here, but we're talking about firmware, BIOS, you know, UEFI, like, like what's our, what's our next step? How do we, how do we extend the S-bomb metaphor to cover these scenarios? Right. Uh, you know, I think S-bomb is a really good tool and a really good uh, capability and, you know, kind of one of the, one of the big steps, just like, you know, I, I use this, you know, ingredients labels on, 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 on the food that we eat, as as an example, you we we want to know what's in it. Uh, that pretty much same thing for all of our infrastructure, all of our third party products that we're using in our infrastructure and equipment. You know, we want to know what's in it. Uh, but um, uh, I think overall risk from our supply chain is broad. It consists of uh, things, not just malicious components. You know, maybe there's a malicious component that was introduced, you know, somewhere in the supply chain by compromising one of the, you know, hundreds of uh, suppliers and manufacturers, that's one risk. And it's there, absolutely. And uh, I think nation states are going to be exploiting that uh, all over. But the, there's there's a lot more risk. The, assume there's a, you know, piece of equipment like Cisco that doesn't have anything malicious in it when it's new. Mm-hmm. But then it runs a ton of code. You know, that, that it, it runs some kind of a, you know, iOS, but let's say some kind of a Linux-based, OpenVZ-based uh, OS with a, with a bunch of code, with a bunch of stack, including network stack and web stack. And some of that code is vulnerable. You, you know, there, there will be vulnerabilities. Always, in it. yeah. And the vulnerabilities are going to be compromised, including remotely, if that, if that code is, uh, is accessible uh, from the internet. And so that is also a risk, but it's a different kind of a supply chain risk. It's, it's, not, a malicious, uh, it's not a malicious piece of equipment, but it's a piece of equipment that has a vulnerability that then threat actor can exploit later on yeah. as we introduced in, a, in, a, in, a, in our operations, right? And then that becomes malicious. That, that, uh, that equipment becomes malicious, you know, later on. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to know both of these. We need to know that if, if that piece of equipment has been tampered with or compromised or malicious um, uh, when we get it, before we start using it and introducing it in operations, and we also need to know if that piece of equipment, that piece of infrastructure has been compromised and became malicious later on when we already are using. So, so it's almost like, uh, to use your food analogy, I'm reading the label on the ingredients, but I also have a mass spectrometer in my house so I can actually say, is that really two grams of salt? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and, and did, did, did someone put more salt in it yeah. you know, a few days after? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's that's the problem statement. That's kind of the solution we're headed towards is is knowing both. We we need an S bomb, but we also need like sort of integrity validation kind of thing. Yeah, we need a constant checks. You know, we need a constant checks that uh, you know our equipment is uh, is still you know good, you know, good, and hasn't been hasn't been exploited, hasn't been compromised. In uh, in constant checks for new vulnerabilities too, of course. Yep. Uh, new vulnerabilities. Every every manufacturer, every vendor. Publishing ton of security advisories. Sure. Just last Tuesday, I think we had uh, over over a hundred vulnerabilities in uh, in the CPUs by multiple manufacturers. Uh, just, just last Tuesday. So you know the ecosystem is is huge. Uh, more than two two thousand component manufacturers that build components into our servers, laptops, network gear, and so on and so forth. That's so crazy. we need to know that constantly. Uh, when the new vulnerabilities appear, when the vendors are 
publishing updates in case where we have the patching program and, and, and can patch those vulnerabilities or do some compensating control monitoring for exploitation if, if we can't patch uh, those vulnerabilities. Uh, that needs to be done constantly. Yeah, I like it. So, so A, ingredient list of what should be there. B, constant checks to make sure that's still what's actually there. And then C, checks to make sure none of those ingredients are poisoned. I'm, 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 I'm continuing with the food metaphor here. <laughs> it may be salt, but is it the right kind of salt or is it the salt that's going to kill me? You know, the, the food analogy goes so far. <laughs> we, can't, we can't fix the food much, you know. <laughs> there we go. And it's, you know, it's better to throw it away. But in the digital technology and in, 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 in equipment, we can actually fix it. We can, can mitigate some of the, those problems. So hopefully it's not just, you know, oh, I know that this critical Cisco appliance or this critical, you know, five load balancer uh, server uh, uh, now is vulnerable, but, uh, but also how, how do we mitigate that risk? How do we, how do we do something about it? Maybe we can patch it. Maybe we can, uh, reconfigure it, harden it. Maybe we can, you know, uh, uh, in increase monitoring of that, uh, of that, uh, of that server or appliance for, for exploitation. So all yeah. of those are very viable, I think, uh, options that, um, we should have to mitigate the risk. I like that. And like you said, it's better than throwing it out and ordering pizza. <laughs> <laughs> I, if you have a hundred thousand pieces of appliances or, or, or servers, um, throwing them out and replacing them, refreshing them, that, that, that's that's going to cost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Because we're um, you know large companies, it's yep. going to be a pretty um, significant cost. Yep. All right. So let's switch gears here. We've covered this is this is great stuff. So we've covered the CPU stuff. We've covered the BIOS stuff. We covered the supply chain stuff. We've got a good understanding of the landscape. Um, I wanted to, before the show ends, though, talk a little bit about your open source ChipSec project, because that kind of ties in all of this as well. What the heck is the ChipSec project? Walk me through that. Oh, yeah. Uh, thank you. <laughs> uh, it's an awesome tool. It's my first and the only open source project. Um, maybe at some point I'll, um, I'll, um, I'll do something else with it. But uh, I, I wrote it for myself, because when I got to Intel, uh, I was doing software security, you know, some vulnerabilities in, you know, software like Apache and, you know, exploiting those. But when I got to Intel, um, we were looking for ways to do a security assurance and vulnerability analysis of other things, mm -hmm. hardware, firmware, components, CPU, graphics, uh, hypervisors, BIOS, you know, network cards, SSDs. A lot of stuff that is not, you know, Apache or something else. Right. Right. So, and we, there, there, there were no tools. You couldn't find tools to, uh, to do an analysis of a CPU or an analysis of a, of a uh, BIOS or, or anything else. So we had to write some, you know, we had to write a lot of tools internally. And, uh, and that was one of the tools. And uh, it was still ugly. At the beginning, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was terrible, but um, it's something that we used internally and, and been evolving, you know, every, every, uh, anal analysis for every new vulnerability, every new POC, um, uh, POC for, for, you know, exploit POC for vulnerability, we're developing it in, in that tool. And so at some point, um, um, uh, at some point manufacturers, um, uh, heard about it, you know, the equipment manufacturers, sure. laptop manufacturers, server manufacturers, other. They, they, they heard about that tool and, um, and asked for it, you know, let's give us, give us that tool. Um, we can also uh, do some analysis and, uh, and, and, and I remember, I remember even one of the manufacturers, 
um, basically uh, used that tool and told me that, uh, hey, we'll, we'll send you a new version of the of a laptop and uh, you won't be able to break it. Uh, and we just developed a few uh, new modules for it. Okay. And we run that, you know, we run chipsec on, on, on that laptop and, and, and we break it. Like, that was one. So manufacturers um, um, started using it. And so at some point we, uh, Alex and John uh, realized that, uh, hey, uh, there's an interest. I, people are, we're using it internally. Uh, equipment manufacturers are using it. Uh, why don't we open source? Because mm. we made it very extensible. You can write a module to check for a vulnerability. You can write a module to do an exploit. You can write a module to, uh, you know, as a fuzzer for, you know, Hyper-V, you know, whatever, VM bus or something like that. Anything, anything you want in, in that level. And so we open sourced it. Nice. Um, and, um, I think that's when uh, that's when a lot more uh, a lot more uh, folks in the community, researchers and uh, and vendors and uh, and and um, 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 and agencies sometimes started using that 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 uh, um, uh, that tool. And then uh, I saw a lot of uh, large companies uh, started contributing and and, uh, and and using it and running it and integrating with other tools. Uh, so it kind of became, you know, more or less a, a framework for hardware firmware security assessments, uh, security analysis, you know, and, um, 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 and folks started contributing to it. So. I love it. So kind of a, kind of a metasploit for that, for that layer in the stack. Or yeah, for the, for the lower levels. Yes, exactly. Uh, I, if you look at, a you know, some of the uh, presentations with it, Alex and, and other folks, um, from Clipsium and every presentation, every presentation was using that, uh, framework because we could develop some modules and, uh, and test it, you know, test the vulnerabilities and all that. That's fantastic. All right. Well, Yuri, thank you so much. This has been a great, uh, this has been a lesson for me for sure. Um, there's a lot more going on, uh, under the, un, under the application layer than, uh, than even I was aware of. This is really good stuff. Um, and thank you for the chipsec project. Like, like the, the world needs more of these kinds of tools and needs more of these to be open source and just give it away and let the whole community get on top of it. So thank you very much for that as well. Uh, any parting thoughts, any final words? Yeah. Thanks. Uh, thanks Alan. And, uh, I'm, I'm really happy that people continue using the open source and, and uh, and people continue contributing to it and, uh, and we continue contributing, contributing to it. Um, so I, I, I think in, in terms of, um, in terms of the um, um, parting thoughts, um, every every piece of technology, security control, it has its limitation mm-hmm. because it was designed to solve certain problems. But those problems evolve, and the cybersecurity space became so enormous, so huge over the last you know five to ten years that you know sometimes we want to have uh, a uh, you know one one big tool to solve security. You know, right. you're this old. Uh, but, uh, but just like in any other space, I mean, we're, we're, we're a small company, but we're using, you know, over a hundred different tools, just SaaS tools. Yeah. Probably using more than a dozen of, uh, you know, marketing sales tools. Uh, I, I'd love to have one tool to, you know, check marketing, one tool to, uh, um, uh, check sales, one yeah. tool to, uh, check security, but that's probably we're past that point. So, uh, every tool and every set of tools were designed to deal with, you know, different Kind of problems you know with malware and you know the scanning networks for vulnerable yeah. network assets for vulnerabilities, um, clouds you know configuration and so on and so forth. And I think now we are in the transition where um, 
uh, we all use a lot of external technology, mm-hmm. software, hardware, and all of that technology is built based is built from hundreds or thousands of uh, different components, software components, hardware components, firmware components, you know, and, and that brings a lot of risk. And so that complexity and that risk from this technology supply chain is something that we need to address specifically, not try to, uh, you know, not try to apply uh, uh, the tools that were built for other purposes to solve the complexity of the technology supply chain and yeah. the risk of that supply chain, but, but build capabilities um, and, and tools and controls and processes and train people to deal with that complexity and, and, and those risks specifically. And, um, and that, that's hopefully what we're doing here. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, Yuri Bulligan, thank you so much for coming on down to the ranch. Thank you, listeners. Y'all be good now. <laughs>